0: 17 already. How quickly time flies from the beginning of the year. It seemed like it was just Christmas, New Year's, and my birthday. Now we're into May. So it's crazy. But we're really excited to be back with you. Um, Shout out to my friend uh, Willie Wu from uh, Gracie Baja. Will Wu, a professor at uh, Long Beach State Motion Dynamics or something crazy like that. We're going to have to go down and visit. He may be a future guest uh, on the program, uh, Will. Uh, Actually, I'm pining for him to be a guest and we can talk about how what he does with motion dynamics and studying athlete movement and how maybe that could play into fighting and if we could um, perhaps we could even uh, uh, have him find out if he's actually worked with a fighter yet. Uh, but anyway today uh, is a very special day uh, on the program um, especially because um It's the return of uh, Tristan Critchfield from Sherdog.com. He is the editor of Sherdog and has been on the show several times uh, in years past. And we've maintained a friendship uh, over these past years. I actually got to meet him in Phoenix and have some beer with him and watch some fights. And um, he's just a fantastic mind for MMA. So you'll see that, as uh, those of you who have listened to my show know, that I can sometimes go off the rails. And <laughs> and um, Tristan is the guy who will bring me back in. He'll reel me back in like I'm a fish and go, no, wait a minute, have, You know, have you thought about this? And he does it in a way that is not... Uh, very intrusive, but he makes me see and think about things that I, I haven't thought of. So, um, I'm very excited that um, he's coming back uh, on the program. So, um, I'm going to take a uh, quick break. And uh, when we come back, it's going to be Tristan Critchfield from SureDog.com. Mm-hmm. to uh, MMA BJJ and life I'm your host DJ San Marco along with the yeah. aforementioned special guest that you guys had heard about uh, gentlemen that uh, haven't had on air haven't had the pleasure and honor of doing a podcast for for three years he's the editor of suredog.com Tristan Critchfield hey
1: my brother hey DJ I'm doing well um to clarify quickly though okay I'm the editor I'm the editor. You're the news editor. Okay. There's one guy that was the editor. It'd probably be Mike Fridley. He's got the managing editor title. The editor makes it sound like i Okay, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm, he is I'm an, an editor. editor. Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> and uh, alright, let <laughs> me get <laughs> that straight. He, he is, is an, an editor
0: of SureDog.com. Been covering MMA for I'm going to take a guess and say since 20... 20
1: 2009? That's Probably right. a pretty good ballpark, maybe maybe earlier than that. I can't remember. Okay, I you know I, I, I did some interviews. I think when my first first couple stories I wrote the Albuquerque, actually the first one I think if I'm correct was when uh, Joey Via fought uh, Phil Barone on that uh, Elite XC card that had Kimbo Slice and James Thompson. It was like the first. Um, yes, yes. And it's part on network TV, and I did a, an interview with Joey Villasenor, and that was my first MMA piece in the in the newspaper. So. Wow, and that was the card where we were all trying to figure out what is that
0: on
2: Jane Thompson's James Thompson's head that looks like where the ear should go?
1: Yeah, right. What is that anatomical thing that I see there? So that yeah, that's
0: that's pretty wild. That was I remember that card. I don't remember. Well, actually, I think Joey Villasenor beat Phil Baroni in that fight. Am I right?
1: Yeah, he, he did beat Phil Baroni. You know, Phil Baroni came out with all the pomp and circumstances that circumstances he usually does. You know, with the girls and the glitty, glitty <laughs> robe and and all the bells and whistles. And then Joey's just you know come out with uh, not a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of fireworks to his entrance. But he, he put him away, finished him. I don't remember the exact time. I'd have to look it up. But definitely. He's, he's a great, great character though in MMA, uh, Phil Baroni though, isn't, isn't he? He he absolutely is. I mean, I have a I have a memory. The last time I interviewed him. Oh no! Not he was. It was in. It was in uh, Bellator, and, mm-hmm. you know. And he's just as is just as brat, blustery as he as he ever was, you know. And I mean, just it's just a guy that you know he he has an extreme self confidence, and uh, when you follow him on Twitter, you see the same thing. I, I dig it. I, I really I like it a lot. lot. I remember my memory is
0: driving <laughs> up to Albuquerque <laughs> to take my wife <laughs> to immigration and hearing the interview. <laughs> was <laughs> it? Jordan Breen that interviewed Phil Baroni, or was it Jeff? Somebody from Sure Dog, somewhere around 2009 or 2010, interviewed Phil Baroni, and I—I I think I actually shed a tear. We were in our hotel room in Albuquerque,
1: listening to the interview, and I think I shed a tear. Do you remember that? I, I don't remember that interview. What what got you choked uh, up? It, I think it was a lot about him talking about his struggles with
0: uh, himself and confidence you know he had a degree in psychology I don't know if a lot of people know that um and he was talking about his struggles and it was during like at one of his comebacks I think maybe his first or second comeback or something like that and it it was very touching I can't remember the exact subject matter but I'm pretty sure I emailed Jordan about that and um it was it was very powerful stuff and it takes a lot to unfortunately it takes a lot to get me to shed a tear, not that that's a good thing, it's actually, but um, is, is uh oh, well, somebody's trying to call me, I'm going to have to deny that, okay, let me turn my phone off so that doesn't happen again, uh, apologies for that, but yeah, I, I do remember that, it's, I've got a lot, a lot of memories, now that Jordan says he's turning 30, he was 23 when, I want to say, was he 23 when he started with the company, or 21 when he began blogging with the company
1: he was really young i know that i mean i wasn't with sure dog at the time so yeah i guess if you you do the math it was definitely definitely early 20s yeah and tj's two years older i believe so they're both kind of grown up and
0: um it's really wild uh the, the ride that uh many of us have been on with sure dog not just me uh, and then finally like, getting to meet you two years ago. And, it, and this is actually going to segue. Uh, well, actually, it was in, in October, it'll be three years ago, that I had an opportunity to meet you in Phoenix uh, when you were. And Jeff as well. That was the first time
1: I met Jeff. Well, we yeah, actually, actually we, we met, met before, before that. that. Before that yes. Low, like the, Jackson's in the <laughs> We did, that's right. I don't, which, I don't remember which one, but I know we met I think a couple of those. It was. <laughs> I, I was. In the venue, you know, we did a uh, funny, uh, me and my co-host did a funny interview with Greg,
0: and I saw the placard that had your name on it, and it said Tristan Critchfield, and Daniel, um, I'm trying to remember his name now. Oh, well, Arch- Archuleta. Yeah, Daniel Archuleta at Sherdog.com. And I was like, oh, my God, Suredog's here. And then when you actually showed up and I came and met you and you were so gracious because, yeah, no, I, I probably looked like a, a, a just a complete Suredog fanboy, which is pretty accurate. Um, and you actually gave me the time of day and then I came on my show, so it was pretty awesome.
1: So I still appreciate that. <laughs> Well, we got we got some, like, some, some, some a little bit of symmetry, I guess, if you will. I mean, maybe not from that date, but from the, the Phoenix date you when know, I met myself and Jeff. Um, that was the UFC on Fox. I don't remember the number, but it was the first fight with uh, Steve Miocic Mio- Mio- and Junior Dos Santos. And now mm-hmm. we're only a little more than a week out from their rematch. So, there you go. That, that is interesting. Yeah, there's uh, that, that symmetry. symmetry. And it, it also kind of, I want to put it, like, as a bookmark. bookmark for the beginning of the conversation today which is um that was
0: uh, you know a high point a high time in the ufc probably where financially and ratings wise they could show their wares to the world and say look this is a successful thing that we built to where we are today where we have wmimg a very hands-off a very anesthetic antiseptic kind of an approach to the business that isn't very Lorenzo and Dana, you know, well, you know, maybe Dana pissing off a fighter, Lorenzo parachuting in and saving the day, a la Chris Weidman, etc. And I kind of wanted to get your take on where we are today. Um, Where is this thing going um, from from what it
1: was then to, to where it is now? Where do you think we're going? Well, you mentioned, I mean, just, you know, yourself a fanboy but I think that um, you know Lorenzo and and even Dana and and they bought this thing and and Joe Silva and those guys and and those guys in the fold they were they were at the the heart they were fanboys in a sense you know and a lot of the model that they that they used to to matchmaking and and the plans that they'd build their events and how they'd kind of set things up was based on you know like what they thought fans would want to see and like and and things Mm -hmm. of that nature And, and like you said it's a little more it's a little more, a little more corporate now, and 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 it's hard to see the, the, the full direction. I know Dana White did an interview where he where he did the one on the UFC Fight Pass with Megan O'Levy, where he said, I mean, it's really vague terms. He says this thing is going to be great. You, you can't see what Ari Emanuel has in store. I can't just see it, you know. But it's, there's nothing like really concrete that he that he reveals but you just see it even being a little more impersonal. I think it was always a rough, it was a rough business for for fighters. You know, it's hard to make money if you're on the bottom of a fight card. But I mean, now you've seen layoffs from whether it's within the, in the, in the promotion or fighters getting cut themselves. It's, it's people are even more more expendable and i haven't really other than that though in a lot of sense it still feels like business as usual maybe the matchmaking's a little different now with Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard as opposed to Shelby and Silva they do a things a little bit differently there but um, but i mean to, it's it, it's business as usual but that those that the financials were out there you see a lot more people getting frustrated because they saw that figure
2: mm-hmm.
1: he, in the and in the gap between the haves and the have-nots is a little bigger than it ever was, but I mean, maybe that's just the Conor McGregor factor, you know, and how much money he's making and how much he's bragging about how much money he's making, and then you still got your average guys coming in on that ten to ten contract, you know, and just struggling to make it. But you know, before we didn't see mid-level fighters going and saying "F Dana White, he can go F himself,"
0: and these types of things uh, that you know, famously, I mean, everybody saw the tweets on. Fight night from Ally Quinta after he defeated Diego Sanchez. And he's tweeting out F Dana White. You know, how dare him say that about UFC 208. You can go F yourself. Guys did not do that in the past. Guys feared Dana.
1: Yeah, this is true. I mean, well, a guy like Ally Quinta, he seemingly has another option with his uh, real estate ventures to where he can make money outside of outside of fighting. So maybe he felt a little more bold. That. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people are people are standing. I mean, we are seen those like unions or fighter associations trying to form. i oh, know, Can't really tell that any one of them is, you know, really has like a solid foundation. But you're seeing it, seeing it more and more. And and it's you know, you compare you compare the the UFC to other 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 professional sports organizations and what the, the average salary is and what. But it, I mean, and there are different things though as well. I mean, there's so many guys that fight. I don't know if if a guy that they sign off of a off of a short notice fight that was fighting in Iowa or what have you should should be making I don't know the a million dollars or six figures right. fighting. You know, there's too many fighters. You know, there's 500, but there's definitely there's still definitely a there's a gap and it needs to be and it needs to be fixed a little bit because they're definitely not getting paid what the profits are for the promotion.
0: Yeah, I I think there was a flaw in the business model. Well, let's put it to you this way, Tristan. If the business model was, we want to make this thing as financially successful as possible so that when we put it on the market, we're going to get, and even as Dana said, upwards of $5 billion offers for this thing from various, uh, he said there were two offers that were above the WMEIG. So if that was your goal all along, let's say on the 10-year plan mission accomplished, but if yours was to build something stable where someone would make a decent living, where someone would maybe get a paycheck or um, have money for training money or – and then so you weren't so high at the top but not so low at the bottom because my argument was more along the lines of Nala Quinta is that you can have a top, but you can't make a card just based on – uh, McGregor and somebody, or even, in this case, Steve Bain Jr., you end up having to stack the cards. So th- I think, I'm not saying that you should pay a million dollars to uh, Daryl Horcher, who comes in and fills in against Khabib in Tampa or whatever it was, but I mean, you, you should have made the salaries a little bit higher, and you wouldn't have had the issues that you have now. Uh, you're saying we're the best promotion in the world, so then by that, I'm saying these are the best fighters in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's definitely, and you look at how much they make. Even, I mean, TV contracts and everything else. There's, there's, there's enough to, to distribute some of that income a little bit more. But I mean, it's worked. They, I mean, we, we were longing, you know, we're pining for the old days of Lorenzo and Dana. But they were, they were doing the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe WME has, has it tightened the purse strings even more towards, or maybe it's just that you know people were expecting to see. See something different and it's not different. So there's a little bit more frustration a little bit more lashing out But um, it hasn't it hasn't really changed It's you know the the, the and they they do play it really close to the vest with what they do release as far as finances You know, so I mean it's 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 ongoing and I'm not not really sure I mean you still but you still you mean while you have the Ili Quintas you have the Nate Diaz's you have the guys that Start talking about money for every one of those guys. There's five other guys that are saying, you know, I just I just want to fight in the UFC. I'll fight for free. I'll do this, you know, and those guys are still out there. You know, it's still the big dream is just, just being in the UFC, having those gloves on, having that brand attached to your name. They're still, you know, they're still doing that without really thinking too far ahead in the future. Well, we know, we know guys, guys and gals like that in Albuquerque, Albuquerque don't
0: we, that it would jump at that chance.
1: I yeah, Albuquerque or any other city with mm-hmm. a big training camp or with five promotions, I mean, just to be in the UFC is still, still a huge deal. You know, whether they're getting because they were because as they were coming up, they were probably working to one or two jobs living off of, you know, bologna sandwiches or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so to move up to just a little bit more than that seems great rather than looking in the in the long term in the big picture. Yeah. And I mean, I mean,
0: I'm not I happen to agree with some of the moves that they've made. And I'll give you examples. I don't think you need a UFC office in China. I don't think you need a UFC office in Canada. I don't think you need all these European UFC. You don't need all that overhead to do this. It's not going to, you're never going to get into China uh, and, and have that sort of a business. The money is in what they have been doing and doing successfully. They do a Japan show, you know, once a year or something. Do you need to have a Japan office to do that? No. You know, so I like some of the cuts that they've made. It was smart to get rid of uh, uh, Matt Hughes and Chuck Liddell if they're not actively out there working, earning a paycheck every week. But they're trying to do as, as little as they can and and make appearances. You know, Forrest Griffin obviously was retained because he has an office there, he lives there, and he works there every day. So
2: um, I agree with all that stuff. I don't think they should waste money, but I think the talent
0: is where the money belongs and the, the Reebok money, there should have been a higher amount, all these sorts of things. So I, I don't know that, I also don't think that every fighter can go out and get sponsorships at the level th- that every other fighter does. Nobody, not everybody's gonna be a, a Paige Van Zandt, et cetera. But um,
1: so I, I, I guess I'm finding
0: a middle a middle ground between uh, the, the two extremes, I'm finding the mean. But um, I, it, it is a, it looks like a very different promotion to me than, than what it did uh, those three years ago. So I, I don't know. Where do you think it's going? Like if I'm, if we're having this conversation two years from now, like for example, and, and I think you and I have talked to this uh, on text message, but they have messed up all the divisions to the extent that we don't know. Who is supposed to fight who now? We had a, two top contenders. We have a, a champion, an ill gotten champion in Conor McGregor, who never fought one fight. And uh, in, in that weight class, he gets a shot at the title and he walks. And my whole thing with them was and, and people that have listened to my podcast have heard this on multiple occasions, but in any business deal, the best business deal, if you and I were to make a a business deal is that both of us are happy, but we're not thrilled. Because if I'm totally happy, it means you're unhappy. And if you're totally happy, I'm unhappy, right?
1: Yeah. Well, with Connor, he came in and he said, you know, he missed UFC 200 in the dispute over the media. So he wanted to be on 205. So instead of forcing him to, to, to fight Jose Aldo, which would have quieted Aldo down,
0: he probably would have gotten knocked out again but McGregor would have gotten that, and then he you said, your next fight is your shot at 155-pound title. Instead, they left him nothing to want. He left with both belts. Now he's got a boxing venture going, and he doesn't care if he ever, we don't know, I mean, I say he will come back and fight again, but who knows who he's going to fight. But if you dangled that lightweight belt in front of him, he would have still been at the top of UFC 205, and... They would have had something—a carrot to dangle in front of him. What have you got now?
1: Yeah, you've got him—him him calling the shots, basically. I mean, he yep. And, and you have, have a lightweight picture that is so screwed up. So now, let's say we do, and and you know we'll get to the
0: Tony. Tony, um, uh, help me out here again. Tony Ferguson and Nate Diaz beef, right? But if you don't have Tony, we we cannot course correct. If we go further off course. Because clearly, if we look at middleweight, we're way off course. If we look at welterweight, we're a little bit off course. If we look at lightweight, we're way off course. And the only way to get back on course, I guess I'm using aviation uh, analogies here, is you've got to steer back towards course. And the only way to do that is to have Tony fight Khabib.
1: Yeah, it's just that we're not seeing that type of. I mean, that's that's something that we're trending toward is the type of matchmaking that isn't necessarily in the in the spirit of competition. We saw it a little bit in the previous Enzo's era and towards the end, especially. But it's something you may see now with, with you know more of a, a Hollywood type influence. You you see more of these fights, and you may see more weird catchweights, or so you just see guys coming straight into a division, a la George St. Pierre or Conor McGregor. And getting a title shot right away and and it doesn't seem like that's something that's going to be going to be corrected on the other hand i mean it's 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 one of the good things about fighting in the sense that you can that you can make a fight and not be construed to a a tournament or a schedule like you know like you've seen with the world series of fighting is going to go through a whole this whole professional fighter league and we've seen that format doesn't really work so like part of the beauty of fighting is you can do there isn't that the term matchmaking is you know Mm -hmm. exactly it is but i mean going back to what we were talking about earlier um when, when especially when, when it was a joe silva sean shelby kind of hierarchy they still tried to make it a little bit more about competition i think for the most part and you would see that whether you know whether it was at the top with the belt or just tending to match fighters both coming off of victories or losses they were like almost rigidly consistent in that you seeing that change a little bit so all the way up to the top and yeah, it's it's just really kind of messed up the divisions. You mentioned middleweight was on a little bit on hold. I mean, I just, I mean, you saw, you might have seen George St. Pierre tweeting out that you know he was at the Garden at, for the NHL playoffs, and then I might be fighting here, and supposedly they're targeting November for that, so you're pushing that that back a little bit more oh, than we anticipated to be maybe summer with this. maybe that's pushed back a little bit more. So, well, Michael, Michael said July for yeah, his fight. So, so is he going to risk his belt? belt? In yeah. July. Yeah, he said he was going to, well, if G- GSP isn't ready, I'm going to fight Romero. But who knows if, if that was just an empty, empty threat.
0: This it, It's just they made a complete
1: mess of it. Like, even with the Dan Henderson thing, you didn't,
0: if you were going to do a Dan Henderson thing, I don't, I don't know that it should have been right then because the guy had just won the belt. So you sullied the whole thing. I mean, I love Dan Henderson, but we have to have some sort of a... Otherwise, what do the rankings matter? You know, if, if you're going to do that. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is, is going to be off course. Now you have Anderson talking about that he wants to fight Yoel for his retirement fight, which I guess
2: I could see that... If, if Michael's going to hold up the belt, he might as well do it for an interim title. Yeah,
1: just you know, why not have another, another interim title on the, on the <laughs> And I never heard him talk that way about the UFC as he did
0: on Ariel's show on Monday. If you guys had heard the MMA Hour, I think it's called, um, you would have heard that. He, he lambasted the UFC. He, he had an anger about the way they were treating him that I've never heard him talk about like that before.
1: He's been building toward that. Um, I mean, maybe not. That was like the the boiling point. But I mean, going back to him fighting Daniel Cormier on what two days' notice, right about the time Jose Aldo was airing his grievances, and then then Silva came out and said, "Well, they don't treat Brazilians right, and I didn't get like the thank you I deserved for coming in and fighting DC on on absolutely no notice." And, mm-hmm. not a- and so he had he'd been building toward that for for a little bit, a, a little while, you know. And yeah. I, I'm,
0: I'm sorry, sorry, go, go ahead.
1: No go
0: ahead, that was it. And the the short sightedness of fans. If you don't think that Daniel Cormier didn't have in the back of his mind this guy just came in and saved a four hundred thousand or five hundred, whatever his paycheck was for that fight, and you think that you don't think that he had that in the back of his mind that he didn't want to lay into this guy with elbows and beat the shit out of him, then you just don't know people. Uh, because sure, he had that in mind, and he wanted to beat Silva. But people saying he didn't look good in beating Silva, he didn't want to beat the hell out of him. Silva. Just saved his paycheck by coming in and taking that fight. Are you going to sit there and try to disfigure the guy? <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, people have the same reaction. They see Rose Namajunas uh, beat Michelle Waterson, and from that they derive: she's a great matchup for Yonni and Jacek. She's the one. I'm like, have you seen her wrestling?
1: Do you think she's (laughs) going to get you and Jacek to the ground? Are you kidding me? Apples and oranges there. Yeah, it's like they they see um, a shiny object and they are totally distracted
0: from what reality is on on some of these things that are are absolutely ridiculous. Those are the same people that were dying to see Dan Henderson fight John Jones at UFC 151, the same people. I'm like, oh yeah, that would have been great. And you would have saw a legend get smashed worse than what Cormier did to him because John would finish him with elbows or something. Yeah. So, um, you know, but people see an object and, and they buy into it. So there's just so much craziness in these weight classes, and I don't know how we we steer back to course. without. I do like the fact that Jose Aldo, and I do agree with Jose Aldo, and this kind of gets to a point that Patrick Wyman was making, and he said on uh, his show um, – is it uh, uh, heavy hands? He said to Conor Rebus She said,
1: "The UFC has no interest in having a 38 or 39 year old grappling-based Brazilian
0: UFC uh, welterweight champion, and that's why they're doing this." What do you What do
1: you think of those that comment? I think it's brilliant. But what do you think? Are we talking in reference to Damian Maya? Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wasn't he the one that? a a while back did uh dana white referred to as the the jiu-jitsu kid (laughs) i forgot about that yeah the jiu-jitsu kid kid. yeah Yeah. so So, yeah they're gonna gonna delay it although i don't think they're thrilled with with uh having tyron woodley one because he speaks his mind and and has a tendency to have fights occasionally like the one he did in the rematch with Steven Thompson. So you could say they're not like thrilled with that situation either. I don't, but yeah, a a grappling based, I mean, I don't know. Maya at his peak though. And he's, when he's, when he's just cutting through guys, I mean like the way he dismantled Carlos Condit, for example, I mean, the guy deserves, the guy deserves his shot. But, but yeah, if you're looking at the, at the big picture and what the UFC wants to market, I guess, you know, Damian Maya is not, not going to be a drawing card. You know, he's like one of those champions you'd put on. You wouldn't headline a pay-per-view with Damian. I don't believe he'd probably, probably do a Fox card or you'd make him second billing on a, on a bigger card.
0: Um, You know, and and um, one of my uh, friends, Larry Pepe, says, why can't, you make, uh, the, why can't you say this is the 2017 version of Voice Gracie and market that? Why isn't that a
1: thing? Well, I maybe you could you could do that but i mean the era is. i mean one people everybody is should at least pa- has a passing familiarity with uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and various other you know versions of the grappling and and so and then and then the, the newer fan generation probably doesn't even care so i mean i don't know if that's really the best the best route to go rather other than saying you know this guy is great at what he does and trying to to bring him back as a is something from the past? Modern because, day, yeah, yeah. A different. I mean, a different era when nobody understood like what what ju- ju- what jujitsu was, and you know, it was getting introduced to the masses in real time, basically. And so, I don't know. It was. I mean, I think Ronda Rousey's initial run through the the bantamweight division was closer to a hoist Gracie type of thing, maybe for those. True. ...than, then like what Damian Maya is doing now. I mean, Damian Maya is more refined. He's he's improved other aspects of his game. Obviously, he's still. He's obviously still really specialized in that one area, and you referenced uh, Patrick Wyman. I don't know if you read his his thing about how MMA has changed over the years, but the fact that where it hasn't changed is there's not these well-rounded, like there's not these guys that are spectacular in all areas. They're still like there's an Olympic wrestler or there's mm-hmm. a you know an Abu Dhabi grappling champion, and they 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 know how to refine the other elements, but the ones that are the best they still really excel in like one area, and that's that's something that he pointed out as far as, you know, the technical acumen of, of the guys that are in the sport today.
0: That's pretty interesting, like Khabib, et cetera. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, for every Khabib, you have an Augusto Mendez that ended up getting, I think he got finished uh, the other night. Uh, I'm trying to remember who he fought in the last UFC, that guy Tanquino But, but yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Damian Maya is really the best example of a guy, and the most is what makes him intriguing. And if he, if he wins this fight, it's going to be, you know, against a guy with the defensive wrestling prowess of Jorge Masvidal, it is going to speak volumes about what he can actually do to maybe anybody except Tyron Woodley in the division. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out just as – I mean, will what will the UFC do? I mean, because you got Tyron still talking about, or his names connected to Conor McGregor or Nick Diaz and Diaz and guys that aren't really involved in the title picture. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see. You know, if he if he wins this one, and, and, and you know, you mentioned his age, times you know, time's running out. He's got to realize, you know, eventually, you know, like. It's 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 his, his peak is lasting a little longer than the average athletes, but eventually even Damian Maya's got to realize I got to get this shot and I've got to get this done before before I start to start to lose some of these physical abilities, which you know could happen in any fight when you're that age. And that's what makes it so sad that he hasn't gotten his shot yet. But I can tell you, I don't think Nick Diaz. There's any chance he's going to come out and fight Tyron Woodley for the title cuz he doesn't want to fight a wrestler although it would be kind of interesting
0: uh if they fought but it's just it's really it's just a big it's really a big mess i don't know what they're going to do at welterweight at this point or what their their plan is now you have Tyron Woodley saying Damian Maia is stupid for not waiting for me when in fact the UFC told him if you don't fight Masvidal you're not getting a shot at the title i don't know if if uh, Tyron listens to the uh, MMA media or not, but uh, he did that interview with Ariel where he said that.
1: Yeah, I think I think I think Tyron actually kind of stayed kind of closed off. In the, in the, in the- He's, He's what? what? I do remember him saying that in up to leading up to his, up to his new match with, with uh, Thompson. So he may he may not have actually heard that. It's hard to sometimes it's it's, it's hard for any of us to keep up with That's all true. the reports, all the different shows outlets yeah there are different contradictions that come out so he might, well, might have overlooked that i don't know if you heard the funniest piece i heard on thompson and woodley was from eugene s robinson on that i think his show knuckle up did you hear that i did not it is absolute gold um absolute gold him talking about it, he calls him t Rowan woodley and and he starts talking about residual checks
0: because i guess Eugene has done a number of different things in Hollywood commercials and so on and so forth. And he goes, "Um, when you get that residual check, you start thinking about, I don't want to lose this SUV. He did the same kind of thing about Chris Weidman. So... (laughs) <laughs> but the stuff that he talks about, and then he's, all of a sudden he's making references to Alexander the Great and then Albert Speer, and he's in all these different directions, uh, and then is somehow able to tie it into MMA, and I'm like, wow, this guy's so much smarter than I am. He graduated from Berkeley or whatever, so
2: <laughs> it's uh, it was very funny. If you ever uh, have a chance to
0: listen to his post-fight after uh, the Woodley Thompson 2, it's very funny because that was – uh, a terrible fight, and if you want to market yourself as somebody that people want to come watch, um, that's I have all the respect for holding onto your belt, but that's exhibit A of what not to do.
1: And if you're Steven Thompson, same, same. So uh. <laughs> I had a, I just had a thought I, I was looking at the rankings regarding Woodley because you know Robbie Lawler is, is returning to their team against Donald Cerrone, um, and Woodley has mentioned that. He's fighting sometime in July. I don't know if it's 213 or 214 on the 29th. But you could see another scenario where Maya wins, wins a fight in early May, then you get to July. Let's say Robbie Lawler has some kind of spectacular win against Donald Cerrone, and Woodley does what he does, and then Maya becomes that forgotten-about commodity again because people are in the moment. They say, "Well, well, Lawler was just a fluke. He got caught, and then they give Lawler a title rematch. You know, it's... It's That's like a few things, a few moving parts that need to happen, but it's something that very well could happen, you know, with, with the timetable of everything going on. And, and what's worse, what if he loses? Who are you talking about, Maya? Yeah. What if he loses? If he loses, about, yeah. he's definitely SOL. I mean, I don't really see a, a scenario for him at his age. Well, I wouldn't say def- – I mean, if you get a couple more wins – but I mean, for him, it's just the way it's been going. Anyway,
0: it's yeah, it's yeah, it'll be par for the course for him and another Brazilian. I mean, the amount of you know Jose Aldo hadn't lost in like ten years. He loses one fight and says, "I gotta have the, this fight again." And they could have compelled McGregor to be on that if they would have leveraged it a little bit against the actual gravity of that card. And they could have had that, that rematch that would have settled things. And, um, and we would have been headed down the right direction. Then Khabib would have fought um, Eddie Alvarez. You know, you actually could have had Damien So it's really a few different things that could have happened. If Damian Maya gets the title shot he deserves against Woodley, then you have that square. He gets that title shot. Whatever happens, happens. Thompson, you go fight Masvidal if you want to fight at khabib you get the shot against eddie alvarez more than likely he becomes champion and now you have mcgregor you know you sit there and say you say well if you want that carrot here it is and then you have tony ferguson ready to fight khabib and then you had uh with the lightweight division you had connor probably beating aldo again i hate to say that but just with the kind of power he has it just takes him to touch you one time and it's over um and uh and now everything settles. You can see how it seems like on one night, everything went off the rails.
1: Yeah, with Conor winning? 205. Yeah, just in one night, If you, had you made all those matches, you would be on track now. Nobody could be squawking. Tony wouldn't be
0: squawking. Khabib wouldn't be squawking. Jose Aldo wouldn't be squawking. Um uh, you would have McGregor ready to come back to, to get that second belt, you know, and on and on and on. Maya wouldn't be squawking. He would have got his shot against Woodley. And then Steven Thompson could have fought Masvidal in a, a, a style matchup that would be ten times as exciting as almost any other welterweight matchup you can get. If you like striking, you're going to have the classic Cuban boxing style against the karate styles. So how could you – you can't beat those matchups.
1: Yeah, it would, have been, it would have been an interesting uh, kind of what-if scenario. but Everything would have been on track
0: now, and you wouldn't have a bunch of people saying, F this promotion, I don't want to fight anymore, all that. Aldo's only fight because he wants to make retirement money now. I don't think he – you know I mean? He wants to get his belt back, but after that, I don't know where his care factor is going to go. He's going to try to chase McGregor, and he will I don't think he'll ever get McGregor
1: back. Yeah, that – I, I, it's, you're getting less and less likely to imagine Connor cutting to 145. I mean, maybe if, if Aldo went up to 155 at some point, mm-hmm. could, that they could, they could happen. They could run it back that way. But as far as the other way it doesn't. It doesn't seem likely that that, that Connor's going to go back down there.
0: But, but the, the, the the problem is, is, is the, that Connor is pliable. He's malleable. He'll do. A six-week camp, you know. He'll do a short-notice fight. He'll change opponents. You want to fight Aldo? You better be talking three to four months in the future. Am I wrong? Name a time he's ever fought when he hasn't done that
1: kind of a camp. Yeah, he's not. A, he's not a guy that's. And you know, that's that's something that, that Dana White, love him or hate him, he he's, he's lauded Connor for. You know. Like, mm-hmm. Yep. He's like that guy. Does nobody else does it? He's willing to fight whenever, wherever, whoever, and. Not everybody is always, always ready to do that. You know? Yep, he deserves it. And that, and so he probably would have said that if he would have tried to get ready for Aldo at 205, that Aldo wouldn't show up. But then you throw a guy some change and you tell him, look,
0: be on weight, be ready, you're number two if anyone falls out. And they should be doing that routinely. That's the kind of stuff that was in the budget.
1: They yeah. are paying some freaking low-level staffer in Canada. What I do think is maybe we're getting closer to a point where, where anybody really care about belts, you know, like we're already got people talking about money. Like maybe, you know, if I was fighting, I, I would care less about the belt and I would care more about getting, getting the biggest money matchup I could get, whether that involves a, a belt that, that's an interim belt or, a, or an undisputed belt or whatever UFC created a belt. You know, I mean, at this point in time, we're getting to that point where the belts are getting so devalued and we're throwing in interim titles that it makes sense where everybody's just trying to, to, to get the money that they can uh, you, you might, might be right and that's where
0: maybe that's where we're going and here's where it started and this is something I wanted to get into and I'm glad you just reminded me of it is it the way that they build a star today we have Michelle Waterson come in the UFC she wins one fight and then next thing you know she signed as a client by WME IMG and then the next thing is she's featured on all these different UFC stories, pumping her up. You haven't proven a damn thing yet. When in the era of Chuck Liddell, he went about—he was not only Tito's training partner—he went about knocking people out and winning fights and defeating wrestlers and defeating strikers and and that. And then they said, "We're going to build that guy." And then Randy Couture comes in, you know wins a, a light heavyweight title, we're going to build that guy. And and they did it through somebody proving that they belonged here, that they had done something to deserve promotion. Now, you have a, a Paige Van Zandt who hopefully now, in what she's doing, is getting the requisite skills to go in there, but you send somebody very green in there, and Michelle Watterson takes her out right away, and then Rose Watterson goes in there and somebody that I would refer to as a UFC veteran at this point in Rose Namajunas just by the fact of the girl she beat in the house and the fight she's had in the cage, and she takes her out quickly. So what are you telling the fans? If you're just going to say, I want to I want to build, build this guy, this and, and, and you have, have a guy, guy like Tony Ferguson, Ferguson out there who's won like nine fights in, fights
1: in a row. Yeah, I would think we go back to that uh, W M E I M G influence in the case of a Waterson because not only did she beat the previous Golden Girl and Paige Van but you know Michelle has has a kind of a look. You know, she's done modeling in the mm-hmm. past. She has a good a good story as a as you know as a fighting mom and a documentary kind of backing that, and that's all that stuff that. That, like an agency like that can buy into and used to sell along with a, a fighter fighter skills you know and getting that one signature win on a on a fox network platform was enough for them to try and push her even if the more uh, savvy fans and observers knew that nama unis was going to be a bad matchup for her in the turnaround and then what
0: happens if she fights an angela hill and gets tuned up by her now what do you
1: do well then, you know you you go with the next you go with the next thing you know. I mean, I don't think back to back losses they're not going to be able to push her as, as well as as, well as they like. They may already scale it back a little bit. I mean, I think they could still put they're going to put one of those type of those fighters, a Pedro a Michelle Waterson. They see, they seem like they like to have those, especially on those Fox Network cards. It seems like that's what they've been doing a little bit lately in a featured spot, maybe not the main event always, but definitely in in a featured spot. Yeah,
0: and that's the point, though, is they're not – I mean, I'd be all over and Jacek, all over her, as as promoting her everywhere because of the dominance that, that she has. You go there throwing Paige Van Zandt around, and she has zero wrestling. Luckily, she's out here supposedly. She's trained with Cyborg and Jason Perillo and stuff. And I'm really glad that she did that, and not because I don't have huge respect for Team Alpha Male, because I do. But for whatever reason, um, she was not getting the type of she was not being pushed in the areas that she needed to be pushed to get better. Because I didn't see in those last couple fights, she still does the the schoolgirl head and arm throw to try to get every takedown. You know, you you know her wrestling hasn't improved. Her hands weren't very good, uh, and and you know she she looked pretty amateurish against. Uh, Michelle Waterson, who herself then was made to look somewhat amateurish on the ground by Rose the so it's it's,
1: you know what I mean? Do,
0: do you kind of see what I'm getting at? Like they're pushing people that don't have the requisite resume to be pushed yet.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a different it's a different perspective with people that are, there, that are at the top, and you know, it's not all about wins and losses and resume. You know, and they may think that a Yoanna Yendejik might not resonate with. The average housewife that watches Dancing with the Stars or yeah Chop or whatever, because like a fight fan is going to see like you know Johanna's uh, mannerisms, whether it's at um, face-offs or at weigh-ins. She's got like that certain like kind of her own like foreign charm. She's got mm-hmm. that instinct, but like the average person that watches, you know, a couple of fight cards a year, maybe like WME is IMG is not looking and saying, oh, this is this is the woman that's gonna gonna be like a household name, even if. You know, like the hardcore is like you yourself for me is just like can't get enough of her.
0: I'll tell you, Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I like. I mean, I've got great respect
0: for for all of them from that standpoint. But I just, I am waiting to see if you know if if we're gonna push people based on on what they do because then it makes you look good. Now we'll see. Like you said, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, Michelle will will really improve and that'll turn out to be good and Paige as well. The fact that she moved out I think is really really smart on her part. Um, not because I don't think Team Alpha Male is good, but it's just it may not work for her and every camp doesn't work for every person. Still Matt Hume and Mighty Mouse are the most amazing thing. This, you know, he's totally focused on Mighty Mouse and his training and look at the results is ridiculous. So um, all right, um, Tony and Nate. I kind of had something written. I kind of wrote a line: Tony and Nate go to White Castle. But <laughs> I don't think that. I don't know if that. Think that fight's going to happen. I don't. I don't know about you. I don't. I don't see Nate coming out for that. Uh, what do you think?
1: Well, I, I listened. I wasn't completely locked in. I was, I was multitasking, but I was listening to the to the Nate Diaz interview with uh, Ariel Hawani yesterday. And if you take Nate at his word, he didn't. You know, he, didn't say, he said he didn't plan on fighting the rest of this year. And he, and he considers a fight like Tony Ferguson to be doing the dirty work for, for, for Conor McGregor. And he's like, let Conor fight him, you know, he's the number one contender. I'm not here to like, you know, he, he just, I'm not going to do his work for him. Or him. <laughs> you
2: know,
1: that's, that's the gist you get out of it, you know, along with just the normal Diaz type ramblings. But it didn't sound like, it sounded like he accepted the fight and then rejected it on second. On a second, on contest. money, maybe, yeah, maybe money as well was part of it, but um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's it'd be a it'd be a fun fight, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem seem like it's a fight that's going to happen. It's a shame we didn't get Tony and Khabib. Oh, oh my god, god. it's, it's breathtaking, breathtaking that match, much, right? right? Yeah, because I mean Diaz is one of those guys now. And he's kind of in that money. Like I mean, people just throw his name in the fights, but I mean, like resume wise, it's okay. But I mean, he built his. Like, he kind of built his stardom on beating a, a smaller a smaller weight. Not that he's as huge as Dana White tries to make him sound, but, you know. But he's, he built his resume on a guy that's not normally in his weight class in beating Conor McGregor, you know. I mean, he's just the guy you're like, well, let's throw in Nate Diaz. Like, is Nate Diaz really a lightweight title contender? Like, I wouldn't really – I mean, he did beat Michael Johnson a while back and looked good, but he looked awful against Dos Anjos before that. And that was before Dos Anjos won the title. So, I mean, and he's, he's just become, like, one of those guys that you're talking about where you can just kind of – he's kind of malleable as well. If, if, I mean, if we pull up the numbers right now, so, so if you're McGregor, let's say he goes and he loses or wins against Floyd Mayweather, and he's going to come back to MMA, and people have said, like, I, Larry and I have been arguing this. He's on, on his pro-MMA radio show. He's saying he's, he's not – this is fu money. He's not coming back. I said 100% Conor McGregor will come back and fight in the UFC. I am saying with 100% confidence, do I know what's actually going to happen? Do I have a crystal ball? No.
0: I am 100% positive he comes back. Why? Because he wants to be the conversation. He's like 29 years old, and whatever happens when he fights Mayweather, it doesn't matter. He's going to want to come back and to show I'm the best in this sport. Agree or
1: disagree? I would think so, especially when you consider the most likely outcome is he's in a boxing match and you know that adds to a different narrative of him you know returning to his, his 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 old stomping grounds and kind of reestablishing himself because even if you lose in a different discipline it takes a little bit of luster off of you and you want especially if he loses loses like handily then you know he's going to want to come back and, and reestablish himself
0: even if, if he, he wins he's still,
1: still going to come, come back, back. Because he wants to, sh- he wants to show I'm um,
0: the Howard Stern of this of radio, I'm the king of all media, and yeah. he's going to want to come back to be the. Con- the con- to, I'm, to, I'm sorry, go ahead. Not going to win. No, he's probably not going to win, but he does have a puncher's chance of winning. True. Uh, I believe he does. I believe he has a puncher's chance of winning. Obviously, he doesn't have the skill that that anywhere close to the skill, but he has a puncher's chance of winning. Now, if if they have the 16-ounce pillows on. Now, if you made this boxing match in a UFC octagon with four-ounce gloves, the percentages in Conor's favor goes way up. Lloyd doesn't have ropes to lean against, to lean back. And rope-a-dope, he can't do a lot of the defensive tactics that he he uses uh, with with ropes. He wouldn't have, and he had four-ounce MMA gloves on. I give Conor a much higher percentage of winning
1: sure yeah but we're but that's why we're doing a, we're doing a boxing match so we can't change the rules to make it look good for connor you know or we will feel so the mma similar fight, okay it's boxing it's boxing and that's connor agreed to do boxing so you got to look at it as a boxing match and you know like floyd mayweather like a manny pacquiao floyd mayweather fight wasn't particularly thrilling but even <laughs> a depleted like a faded manny pacquiao his prime um is, is leaps and bounds a better boxer than conor mcgregor in a boxing ring with boxing gloves and boxing rules and like Maybe other in that fight, and I just don't really see yeah We can like you know shift some of the rules and say what well, if it was this and this Floyd's lucky Well, you didn't agree to that so it doesn't yeah. matter, you know, yeah well, i am say I think, I think he's you know, he's, you know 10, 10 ounce gloves. gloves. There's, There's a lot of, of uh, I agree with you. There's a lot of ifs and ands, but Connor was probably, from what Larry told me, you know, the money team, they were going to negotiate. He wasn't going to get 10 ounce gloves. Probably be 16 ounce gloves. All these sorts of things, so that you know they weren't going to let him have
0: anything um, in his favor. But my point is, win or lose, even if he won, I still think he's come back to MMA. I'm, I'm, in my opinion, it's 100% that he comes back, and when he does. If you beat, let's say you come back and your comeback fight is against Nate Diaz, right? And you look at Nate's record as an MMA fighter.
1: And I'm not trying to. I love Nick and Nate Diaz. I think that
0: our sport is better and more exciting when they're in it. What does it mean if you beat him again?
1: Um, Well, it just in terms of like Conor's career, maybe just a little closure on a a trilogy and fight that really historically. Yeah, as far as, other than that, I mean, in terms of the pecking order of whatever division, whatever weight class, what weight class are you fighting at, are we, are we going to stay at 170 for the third time? Um, I mean, it's, if,
0: it's, if he I comes back... It's more about numbers and
1: buy rate and, and the, you know, star power than it is in terms of, you know, a legacy of greatness, but McGregor Diaz wasn't like, necessarily settling one thing. That's for sure. sure. Is, he fact, think if he hadn't lost the first fight, we'd have never been talking about a third fight. True. Yeah.
0: True. Uh, Nate, although Nate would have been asking for it, but if if he comes back and he were to beat a Tony Ferguson or a Khabib Nurmagomedov, now you've beaten the best in the sport. No questions asked. If you beat Nate in a comeback fight, it means. Nothing historically. He beat Jose Aldo. He went out there. I mean to me the fight never unfolded really. But you know, the, the here it is. This is this is this is how I equate this. The Connor beating Jose in thirteen seconds is the same as Junior beating um Kane Velasquez in sixty four seconds. What's the difference?
1: 50 seconds (laughs) yeah what's in terms terms of of who's a better fighter
0: fighter, do we really know because because of what who turned out to be the better fighter
1: well yeah i mean i don't like to diminish like a guy winning a fight that way though because that's a method that's a one way to win a fight is a a quick knockout nor do i But we don't, we didn't really see the facets of mixed martial arts unfold. And when we did see that, we found out
0: that Cain Velasquez is head and shoulders above a better mixed martial artist with all the skills than what Junior Dos Santos was. And with Jose Aldo and Connor, we don't really know that, but it may not matter because his striking advantage is so extreme.
1: Is that fair? Yeah, we may never know, you know. We may never know. But the point is, so but he can say I beat the greatest featherweight
0: fighter of all time. So now I'm the greatest featherweight fighter of all time. If he comes back and he beats either a Khabib or Tony and we don't, you know, we're talking we could be talking You know, 18, 24 months down the road, who knows? But let's just assume that one of those two holds the title. He can say, I am the greatest lightweight fighter of all time if I beat them. He cannot say that if he beats somebody who is almost a 500 fighter at lightweight in ADS. No, but I mean he might
1: make more.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah. What if what if the fights in Russia and Khabib said, "I am the entrance to Russia," and then you heard different politicians in Russia make mention of our Khabib and the UFC and things like that, right? Yeah. And it's in a giant stadium, or it's a, a you know a, a gigantic event for them because you what kind of turnout you think Khabib would get fighting for the title against somebody like McGregor in Russia?
1: It'd probably be a pretty good turnout. I mean, to <laughs> say only, more than eight ads. <laughs> but my not gonna probably not gonna let the challenger, a challenger like be post, be the host for that. He, I, I thought he already said it. I thought, I thought he, he already said, said I'd fight in Russia. Russia. Oh well, maybe he did. I thought he did. As you said, it's so hard to keep
0: up with all the media and all the outlets and who said what. But I, I don't. I think he might have said that. I'd, I'd have to Google it. But anyway, but you get you get my meaning. You know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't really mean that much. Yes, it'd be a big pay-per-view, but him fighting could be even in somewhere in Eastern Block of Europe, wherever he's going to have a huge turnout, uh, especially if you do it internationally. Absolutely. So I don't know. All right. So there's my there's my take with that, Tristan. Um, I had one, one like, ad-limb comment here that uh, may or may not be amusing, but I saw Francis Ngannou move to Las Vegas, and my question to you was going to be have Greg and Mike called yet to try to get him over at Jackson's to piss off Overeem and Andre.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, look, he's going to make us better, man. He's going to make both of you guys better. He's going to be <laughs> It's gonna be the same story they told Diego Sanchez and Rashad Evans and
1: everything else. So, all right. Uh, How many fighters do you think they have training there? Do you know? Like, Um, I was given a ballpark recently, and it was in the neighborhood of 150. That may include amateur. Okay,
0: that's that's crazy, man. There's if you got that many fighters, there's no way you can be getting any kind of individualized attention of of. That matters if you got, got that many, that, that many fighters. fighters. But um, they have a lot larger
1: coaching staff than they used to. There's, it's, there's even on the website asking, you know, will I get to? There's like frequently asked questions, and on one of them is, will I get to train under Greg Jackson, Mike Winkeljohn? And, and uh, no, no. <laughs> only if you're fighting for a major promotion. So if you're fighting on a, you're a pro, but on a regional promotion, there's a chance you're going to be working with some of the other guys a little bit more. Yeah. There's some good capable hands below the below the top two, but yeah, it's it's a large team. Yeah, to say the least. So, all right,
0: um, I'll get off that topic. Uh, Tristan, I don't think it would be a show that you and I, and if we didn't finish up with a little bit of NBA playoffs, is that okay with you?
1: Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. All right, um, I'd like to get your thoughts
0: on uh, the. So, the, any of you that are know that uh, this is probably the premier basketball player. In uh, in uh, MMA media, I would uh, first of all, is there anybody that you think that could give you a good challenge in in basketball one on one in MMA media? Man, I don't I don't really
1: like to make kind of boast about something like that because I never got to play in the, in the <laughs> media game. There was there was one time I brought my shoes. There was supposed to be a media game back. It was the 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 card where Anderson Silva broke his leg against Chris Weidman. Oh my and God! And I contacted Ariel and then out that they canceled the game like that was so that would have been cool because he's a big basketball guy yeah i mean i don't really know maybe some of those guys i mean mma media is a wide is a wide group depending on who you want to actually i don't really know yeah, i don't it's hard to tell like sometimes i mean there's
0: but we could do a charity where we have you go one one with ariel and then we have luke uh, luke thomas grapple with eugene s robinson and we'll be all set there you go. We'll give them the money.
1: Ariel <laughs> is more interested in, in in playing basketball against celebrity athletes, so though.
0: In oh, than other media members. members. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be. How tall he is he compared is to Benson you? So. what's that? He was trying to call it Benson Henderson for the longest time. So uh, I like, yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah I, I haven't seen Benson play, play
0: but I, I like. I think, I'd, like, think I'd, I'd rather have you in there. there. Is, are you and him equal height? Ariel? Yeah, is he
1: pretty close? Okay. Man, we'll have to put this on Twitter. we got to get this going. Anyway, all right, so
0: <laughs> so let me get your, your thoughts. So um, Toronto-Cleveland, I expected a little bit more. Now Kyle Lowry apparently is hurt. I expected a little bit more out of DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry off of last year's loss. I figured that they would come back and push harder because they won – I think a couple of games uh, last year. What what's
1: your thoughts on that series? Yeah, they they've been a little bit disappointing, especially when you consider uh, the additions of uh, Ibaka and uh, PJ Tucker just to maybe shore up their defense. But then Cleveland is just blowing them out of the water. I mean, we at least got to give them a home game to see if they they turn it around because Cleveland hasn't necessarily been stellar defensively all year. Maybe you know just getting back on some. Uh, back at home will make toronto a little better but oh uh, you just you just see that you know cleveland wasn't valuing much of the regular season toward the end and you can see what happens mm-hmm. when they turn it up
0: i don't know how they do. I, I didn't really know that you could do that um but somehow they've done it because i was positive last year they were going to get blown out in
1: the finals and then they did for three uh, i guess three games and i don't know well that's that's just a great ups, a great upset, and, a, and one guy kind of willing. I mean, Golden State was a better team. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the, every once in a while, a better team doesn't win, and if you're playing another really good team and, and the best player in the series is on the other team, it's possible, you know. And yeah, then, that's, that's what Bill Simmons, Simmons says about like the '84 Celtics, Celtics, I think,
0: <laughs> or '85. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, think it's '84 Celtics. Celtics so anyway, um, so um, you um, expect, expect this to continue. continue. Um, and what about uh, Boston and Washington now? Boston's up 2-0. Um, what do they need to do to get uh, for Washington to get back in? This obviously, I guess there wasn't a lot of good connection between
1: John Wall and Bradley Beal in the last game. Yeah, well, you know, Beal needs to like the most blatantly obvious point. Is Bradley Beal needs to, to make some shots. And more Wall played pretty well in his duel with Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas, Jesus. I wasn't. I wasn't impressed with Boston, and I. And then again, you know, let the other team get 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 a home game and see what they do with their with their home games. But I kind of thought I was thinking Wizards in six. Um, I'll stay with the Wizards. Wow. And I'd like. I just thought that I like their backcourt and their athleticism, and having watched, you know, my Bulls take two games from Boston even though you know they totally collapsed Dal Rondo, like that was not a good Bulls team. Like that it, it wasn't even like the same team I was watching for two games. It, that's why I was so disappointing that well it wasn't surprising to see them lose four it was the most Bulls thing you could do. But like even just seeing that Boston could lose to a team like that so like completely, especially in game two, made me think that they wouldn't be able to to hang with the Wizards, but obviously they've proven me wrong so far
0: and this version of Isaiah Thomas I never thought I would see another Isaiah Thomas that reminded me of the, of the original Isaiah Thomas and yet he's done it again and he's just this guy's incredible to be 5 foot 8 be like my height out there playing with those guys and doing what he's doing
1: yeah yeah and I I think though if they do get past the Wizards at some point it's going to be hard with him being being your best player to really advance i mean Right now, it's been really phenomenal. It's a, and you know, it's kind of a, a, heart-wrenching story with his, with his sister and everything. Mm-hmm. Playing, playing for her, and, and in the long run, though, they still they're still piling assets, and they're still looking for that extra piece. You know, whether they they decided to pass on Jimmy Butler or they revisit those talks, um, I think their time is still, still a year or two away if they can, or if they can do it in the draft. We'll see what they do. I think either, either it's gonna be this series, it's gonna be a long drawn out series, or they'll run into real reality check when they play at Cleveland. Can you, you imagine, imagine Isaiah Thomas ending
0: up guarding LeBron, LeBron on a switch? With his back, back to the basket. <laughs> be
1: yeah. You know what? Like actually, he's better. He's not. He's not the worst. I mean, yeah, LeBron's the worst case scenario, but some of those other guys, like that are a little bigger. That they tried to post them. He's actually. He's, he's not horrible in the post. He's got that low center of gravity that gets leverage and makes it uncomfortable. Like, guys would be better just shooting over him. But, like, you try to post and it's not quite the gimme that you would think it would be. That is awesome. That is so cool. I love seeing it. Because the first Isaiah Thomas is one of my favorite players ever. And now this guy,
0: Isaiah Thomas is becoming one of those. Um, a guy I texted you the other night, James Harden, I said, I guess I wasn't paying enough attention during the season that somehow he's become the next iteration of LeBron James, uh, is incredible. From a guy that was being called a ball hog um, and and a selfish player to becoming this distributor, I'm just amazed in what I'm seeing. I'm just absolutely amazed.
1: Well, his, his scoring isn't. I mean, it might have actually gone up previous year but i mean you bring in a mike dan seven seconds or less yeah. style you bring in you you addition by subtraction you send dwight howard away and i think that was a big issue because dwight howard had a kind of inflated sense himself you know especially at this point mm-hmm. he still thinks he should be fed the ball in the post when he really is better off being you know a, a star defender and rebounder. rebounder yeah and you know get you know just like roll to the basket or get some but you're not gonna like feed him into the post but it clogs up the flow of the offense. And um, also read a read a piece about Harden, I believe in Sports Illustrated, you know, he eliminated some of that I mean he was dating a Kardashian, mm-hmm. he was kinda of, you know, the beard and, and he really just took a step back from all that and focused on basketball. So that, that made it probably made a little bit of a difference too, as well as you know, just changing the personnel and the style to make him like a make him more like a, i've heard actually a different comparison which maybe makes a little more sense than lebron is like a, a more modern modernized uh you know bigger athletic steve nash that's <laughs> interesting i just think because he's, he's like six foot eight or, eight or something isn't he
2: he's really he's, he's a big guy, guy. that's, that's what, what made me think lebron, LeBron. But, but yeah, yeah that, that's, that's fine, fine. I, I won't
0: i won't quarrel with that but and they by the way as you said the kardashian factor cannot be underestimated i've read where maybe tristan thompson is on the outs uh with chloe and that speaks very well to the Cavs' chances so <laughs> right yeah exactly. uh, we gotta have Vegas <laughs> odds on this like the, you know the, the the odds makers probably want to know wait is are any of the kardashians dating anyone on either team so um, such a distraction. Um, let's go to – so do you have uh, Houston beating San Antonio now? I guess Tony Parker went down.
1: Yeah, that was – that's a, not a good injury. But I had him winning before that. I mean, obviously, they don't hit threes. They don't win. But, I mean, the more you look at San Antonio, the more reliant they seem to be on Kawhi Leonard. It's going to be even more true with uh, Parker. I don't know that Parker was only doing a first from what he used to be. But you see guys like Marcus Aldridge. I wonder what happened to Oh, oh my, my God. Him version of him and then defensively the Aldridge David Lee Gasol trio is not is like leaves a lot to be desired defensively so I do I do like Houston in that series I mean we'll see quiet Leonard do some really special individual things but it's going to be hard to to win that series
0: and Patrick, and Patrick Beverly getting inside people's head, head and that can't be uh, uh, underestimated either so <laughs> he's, he's, like the, the, he's like the he's like the, the uh um Draymond, Draymond Green, Green of, of Houston, Houston I think <laughs> so um, all right, uh, how about Golden State versus Utah as we wrap it up here? Um, is there anything that we should be interested in here, or do you think this is a runaway?
1: I, it's, I think there's stuff to be interested in, to be sure. I mean, if, if Utah can take a game, that'd be nice. I mean, this is their first real, like, next step up. You know, they, they were kind of a, a new team vogue for, like, basketball heads, you know, they cover it hardcore, and, you know, Rudy Gobert's a – Revelation defensively, but his his style and what he does isn't he is, can't affect the game as much against a team like Golden State. Mm-hmm. You know they can try to slow the tempo and, and do what they can, but I mean, you know this I think this is where the, the train ends. And yeah, it, it's worth watching because they can slow the tempo down. They're a promising team with some pieces. Assuming they keep everybody, with mm-hmm. Gobert go as, as the as the foundation. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a little much to ask for them to to stop, to stop the dubs right now. Yep, they're very cool. If they did, that would just be. I mean, the storybook
0: would have been. If, um, I think you and I talked about that on uh, on the text message. But if if uh, Oklahoma City would have stopped them, it would have been just unbelievable. <laughs> but uh i i didn't think i didn't know if they would get there i didn't think oklahoma city would be as bad as they are with i thought stephen adams and some of those guys and um
1: the other fella i can't remember his name
0: now um the other uh big guy i thought they would be better than what they were um i felt bad for uh westbrook he really kind of got a a raw deal there, uh, they don't look that good, and I can actually, I hate, you know I always do this, I hate to do this, but had they signed James Harden back several years ago, we, then Durant would have never left, and they probably would have already won a title, and if not, they would be right in the face of Golden State right now, so, um, but yeah, I'll leave it at that, I, I agree, I think Golden State's probably going to win, but that is a really cool Utah team. So, Tristan, I wanted to uh, say thank you very much for coming on with me. Can
1: you uh, feed everybody your Twitter handle, etc.? Yeah, it's a it's a rarely really utilized tcrichfield52, um, and I uh, appreciate being on the show. No, no, that's it's awesome, man. Do you have an? I, I'm sure that you don't have an Instagram because if you did, I'd be fishing on there to watch, see uh, any pics of you playing basketball. Do you have an Instagram? I do not. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty low-key social media person. I make maybe two or three Facebook posts a year, and then I use Twitter as a tool, but I'm, I'm one of those low-key social media guys. That is awesome. Um,
0: stay hooping, my friend, and I want to thank you again for uh, being on, and I'll uh, talk to you soon as the uh, playoffs roll on, and uh, I'll be texting you to see what you think about this and that. Appreciate you having me, DJ. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, brother. That, that is, is Tristan Trishfield Critchfield of SureDog.com. Um, he is the news editor of SureDog.com. Uh, he corrected me earlier. Mac, Mike Fridley, who, if you've heard him on with TJ, he's another brilliant mind for uh, MMA. Uh, he's the managing editor for everybody. Uh, Tristan is just an awesome guy. Uh, as you heard on the beginning, it was an honor to meet meet up with him. In, uh, well, actually, yeah, we met in Albuquerque, and then just to hang out with him in Phoenix. Uh, I would literally, if I uh, the next show that I go to, I mean, I would literally um, uh, want to go to a show more if he, if I knew he were there. So, but he he doesn't go to too many. They kind of mix it around. Other guys go. Jordan Breen goes, etc. But um, he's a fantastic guy and a, and a great writer as well. So, uh, thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. It is uh, at MMA, it's uh, at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on Twitter. Of course, we're on SoundCloud. I still, I've promised you guys that um, I was going to get you, uh, get on to iTunes, and I will do that. We will be on iTunes. I just got to uh, get that act together and uh, get that artwork set up, and, and we'll be on there. Uh, we'll bring you more great MMA content. we're gonna we're still pushing to do some life episodes, um, stuff that I think is cool. Um, we're gonna do more BJJ episodes with my co-host uh, Professor Brent Littell. Um He's hard at work uh, and he is also planning on opening his academy this summer. Uh, at Gracie Baja, he's uh, black belt under Eddie Bravo, Felipe della Monica. so, Uh, We're going to come back and and we'll bring you some great stuff and some interesting talk that's going to make you laugh and make you think about MMA. All right? We'll take you out to Neil Young Cinnamon Girl. Thanks a lot, everybody. And as always, we'll see you down the road and I always wonder what's up around the bend.
2: Ten silver saxes, a bass with a bow. The drummer relaxes and waits between shows for his cinnamon girl. A dreamer of pictures, I run in the night. You see us together chasing the moonlight, my cinnamon girl.